0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Uh, We started this uh, series on Joshua last week, and uh, we're going to cover some of the same ground we covered last week with a little different perspective. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 9 of chapter 1, of this wonderful book uh, of Joshua. And beginning in verse 5, we read, These words addressed from God... To Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law, all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it on the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, last week I pointed out that these words, uh, these verses that we just read were addressed specifically to Joshua, Moses' successor. Joshua is uh, the one being given the promises of God's support and God's presence. All the pronouns there are singular. You, singular. Uh, you be strong and courageous. I will be with you. I will never leave you. Singular, or forsake you. Singular. He's the one being commanded to be strong and courageous because he's been chosen to lead God's to lead God's people. Into the promised land. He is the one who is called to be above reproach in reference to God's law so that he might have success. And God had told Moses the same thing that he is telling Joshua Just as I was with Moses, it says here, so I will be with you. And he also made that promise directly to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And to others as well. God spoke to these individuals and he reassured them that he was with them. Well, these words, are of course, yes, specifically to Joshua, but you remember a few, about a month ago, we were looking at the last chapter of Hebrews, verse 5, and in that particular verse, the writer of Hebrews directly quotes Joshua 1:5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The writer of Hebrews takes God's words that were specifically to Joshua and he applies them to Christians in general. I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just like he said to Joshua, he says to believers like you and me. So today I want to explore this idea that God is with us. God is with us and will never leave us nor forsake us. What exactly does that mean? And what are the implications for your life and mine? And here's how I'm going to approach this. I'm going to move from God's general presence in the world or or really in, in all of the universe and move more specifically to God's presence in our lives, in your life, in my life, In those of his people so first we're going to look at God's universal cosmic presence and then we're going to take a minute to look at God's special covenantal presence the children's catechism if you've ever learned anything about the children's catechism uh, number 10 who can quote it with me I'll answer the question I'll ask the question where is God God, well, y'all need to learn the catechism. Come on. <laughs> God is everywhere. God is everywhere. Uh, in theological terms, we call this God's immensity, his immensity, or we might use the term uh, omnipresence. God is everywhere. He's everywhere present. Um, God's immensity, his omnipresence, falls under a broader attribute of God, his infinity. God is infinite. He's without limitations. And so there's really, uh, theologians describe three ways that God is infinite, or three categories of his infinity. First, uh, God is without limitation in reference to his perfections, uh, the quality of his perfections. So, what that means is that God's holiness which is one of his characteristics his crowning characteristic god's holiness is infinite it is not limited by any defect whatsoever his holiness is absolutely perfect the same is true of his love his righteousness his goodness etc god is infinitely perfect he has no defect whatsoever Secondly, we can talk about God's infinity in reference to time. God is infinite in relation to time, which means he's eternal. In other words, he is beyond time. He has no beginning or end. Our lives have a a past, a present, and a future. We divide our lives up in that way. But God has no such division. He has no... There's no past, present, or future with God. He is. His name, Yahweh, means I am. He has always been and will always be. He is not limited by time. He's infinite in relation to time. He's eternal. And then, the one that we want to look at today for our purposes, God is infinite in relation to space. God is infinite in relation to space, and this is called, as I said before, his immensity. Louis Burkhoff, a systematic theologian, says, Immensity is that perfection of the divine being by which he transcends all spatial limitations and yet is present in every point of space with his whole being. It has a negative and a positive side, denying all limitations of space to the divine being and asserting that God is above space and fills every part of it with his whole being. So we've we've already mentioned that the terms immensity and omnipresent are uh, applied to God, and they denote the same thing, and they are synonymous, but immensity points to the fact that God transcends all space and is not subject to its limitations, while omnipresence denotes that he nevertheless fills every part of space with his entire being. So the former emphasizes the transcendence of God, that he is above and and huge and immense, and the latter, that God is imminent. He's ever-present. He's always here. And the Bible supports this. Here's just a a barrage of of scriptures. 1 Kings 8, 27. Uh, This is Solomon talking about the temple that he's built. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Isaiah 66, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? Acts 7, Stephen uh, is preaching, and Stephen says, The Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Jeremiah 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Paul, speaking to the Athenians in Acts 17, says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually Not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. Scott Clark, a theologian at uh, Westminster Seminary out in California, says God is not diffused throughout creation as though he is partly here and partly there, but rather he is completely here and completely there at the same time and with no loss to himself. Put positively, to say that God is immense is to say that he fills all that can be filled with all of himself all the time. Put negatively, there is no place where he is not. Therefore, God cannot be contained. There could, be, there could, be, there could not be any such things as space or location unless God is immense and is actively filling all things and sustaining them. In him we live and move and have our being. So God is indeed everywhere. God is both transcendent and imminent. He is above all things and yet he is always here. Now, there's two errors that stress one of those things above the other. Pantheism uh, stresses God's eminence over his transcendence. Pantheism is the view that everything is part of an uh, all-encompassing, eminent God. All forms of reality may then be considered either modes of that being or identical with it. So God is everything. And if God is everything, God is nothing. But I'll carry on. Some hold that pantheism is a non-religious philosophical position. To them, pantheism is the view that the universe, in the sense of the totality of all existence, and God are identical. So the universe and God, that's, they're the same thing. It implies a denial of the personality and transcendence of God. And this makes humans part of God. Because we are part of reality. We're part of creation. God is not distinct from creation in this view. And that's an error. That's God is immanent; God is everything, not transcendent. But God, in reality, is distinct from creation. He is not the creation. He's distinct from creation, and God exists beyond creation. That's the truth. So pantheism equates all of creation with God. And you see it in a lot of the New Age, the way people talk who are into New Age religions. They talk about the spark of the divine in us all because we're all part of the Big Bang and so forth. and all, We're part of all of creation, so there's a little divine in everything. And you can, you can see God in that tree and in and, and, and a baby and whoever else, you know, every, anywhere else you want to see in all of creation. That's pantheism. Deism is the opposite end. It's the belief that God is transcendent, a supreme being, but uninvolved in the world. He's not imminent. He's not here. He's off in heaven somewhere. He uh, created the earth and he's left it. He's like the, he's the, the divine clockmaker. He uh, put it all together, left it there, and is waiting for it to unwind. Uninvolved, generally, in the world. And that's how a lot of people live today. God's off somewhere else. He's not involved in my life, and I don't really want to have him involved in my my life at all anyway. In that view, God is not imminent, only transcendent. Truth is, if God is everywhere, then there is no place where we can escape his presence. That's what this all means. God is everywhere. There's no place we can escape his presence. If you were to travel on the Starship Enterprise or any other spaceship, get Jeff Bezos to send you off to the furthest galaxy in the universe, the furthest planet away from us, God would be there. God is everywhere. There is no place where God is not. Let's do more children's catechism here. He said, where is God? Where is God? God is everywhere. Next question, can you see God? No, I cannot see God, but he always sees me. Twelve, does God know all things? Yes, nothing can be hid from God. You see the implication there? God is everywhere, even though we can't see him, he always sees you. And, and if God is everywhere, he knows everything about you and not just what's on the outside he knows what's on the inside as well in your thoughts and your 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 intentions even the attitudes of your heart god knows it all hebrews 4 13 says no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account in matthew 12 jesus says i tell you on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they speak Nothing can be hid from God. God sees and knows everything. And you cannot successfully run from God. A lot of people try. A lot of people have tried. And a lot of people will try. But no one will be successful at that venture. You cannot run or hide from God. And this is God's universal cosmic presence. That's not what Joshua 1 is referring to. But that is true. God is present everywhere. There's something more to God's presence than just the fact that he is everywhere. When God says to Joshua or to Abraham, Isaac or Jacob or any of the other people that he's spoken to, when he says that he is with them, he's not just referring to his universal cosmic presence He means something more, because in addition to saying, I will be with you, he also says, I will never leave you or forsake you. See, there's a a promise attached to his presence. It is a special presence, and because there's a promise attached, it's a covenantal presence. He has bound himself to those people with a promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God here in Joshua 1.5 is binding himself to Joshua in a very special way. He is with Joshua in a different way than he is with all those nations that he's about to go fight with. And that same special covenantal presence is for believers as well as Joshua, according to Hebrews 13.5. It's true of anybody who puts their faith. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So we have seen that God is omnipresent, but it is also true that God is not equally present in the same sense in all his creatures or in all places. For example, God was with Abraham in a different way than the people of the nations around him. He had a special relationship with God. God was present with Moses in a different way than he was present with Pharaoh, obviously. God was present with Joshua in a different way than he is present with all the leaders of all the nations that are currently occupying the promised land that he's about to go into. God was with him and the people of God. God's presence with believers today is different than his presence with non-believers. God's presence in heaven is different than his presence on earth. God's presence... Presence on Mount Sinai with Moses was different than it was down in the valley with Aaron and the people and the golden calf. God's presence in the tabernacle and later the temple was different than any other place on earth at those times. Remember when the Shekinah glory filled the tabernacle and then later the temple. God was present there. And even in the temple, the presence of God in the Holy of Holies was different than the presence in the outer courts of the temple. That is God's special covenant presence that he has with his people. Different times, different places, different people. God's covenant presence, his special covenant presence, was the blessing experienced by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When they sinned, you know, they ate the forbidden fruit, they sinned and saw that they were naked and, and ashamed, they covered themselves with fig leaves and hid from God. Genesis 3, 8, this astounding verse. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard God, and they recognized it. How did they recognize it? Because it had happened many times before. They knew God's presence in the garden. They walked with God face-to-face in the garden, this immense God that fills all of creation He was there with them. I don't know how that worked in the Garden of Eden, but but they knew God in his holy presence like no one who's ever lived since, except Jesus, of course. And then Adam and Eve sinned, of course, and they were banished from God's presence. Their sin separated them from this wonderful presence of God. And then as you read through the Scriptures, you don't see this type of relationship between God and people or God and any man or woman until we get to Noah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and Noah walked with God, it says there. And then you see it, of course, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, Moses, Joshua, etc. The promise that God is with you and has bound himself to you with a covenant that ensures that he will never leave you nor forsake you, is the greatest blessing imaginable. It's what human beings were created for, that relationship, that fellowship with God, being in his presence. It's what Adam and Eve knew perfectly in the garden before they sinned, when they walked and talked with God in perfect harmony. And because we're all sinners, thanks to Adam and Eve, that relationship is lost on us. We don't value it as we should. In fact, some people don't value it all, at all, don't want anything to do with it. But our immense, omnipresent God values that relationship. The, this eternal God who is uncreated without beginning or end, nor made by hands, nor able to be captured by hands, does not need to be captured by hands because He's not moving away from us. Quite the opposite. He has come to us and sought us out. This immense triune God wonderfully and mysteriously took on human flesh in addition to His immensity as the greatest condescension to sinful human beings, seeking us out. The one who could not be contained became flesh and blood human being. The virgin shall bear a son, and you shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Why did He do this? Because God's love is as infinite as His immensity. His love has no limitations. God the Father loved us with all that He is and gave up His only and eternally begotten Son, so that we might know him and his special covenantal presence. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know God? Are you in relation to God with this special covenantal relationship? Are you bound to God through Christ? If so, you've got God in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. As we were singing earlier, Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. What a privilege it is to have God's presence. It's the greatest blessing known to man. Now there's a number of implications that I just want to briefly touch on, implications for our lives if you don't know this, you're missing out on the greatest blessing, the reason that human beings were created, and God is willing to have that relationship with you. All we have to do is call upon Christ, reach out to him. He's reaching out to us. He's done it all. But once we have entered into that covenant relationship with God, it has some Implications for us. God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. That has implications. First of all, for prayer. Richard Pratt is one of my professors at seminary. He wrote a book called "Pray with Your Eyes Open." Pray with Your Eyes Open. It's a play on words, and you know we always bow our heads and close our eyes. And I think we probably do that because uh, we don't want the children monkeying around. You know, we don't want to be distracted. But In a sense, because God is present, we can pray with our eyes open. He's here. He's he's wherever we are if we have a relationship with us, and we can speak to him. Even though we can't see him, he's there. And it kind of gives you a little different perspective on prayer, that I'm speaking to someone who is with me, who has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. No matter what I've gotten myself into, we can always call upon him. It has an implication for worship. You know, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be in their midst. So as we gather from week to week, you're coming into God's presence. He's with us. He's here. And we are singing to him as if he were sitting right there on the front row. We're praying to him. We're, we're hearing his word. See, that. That puts a little different perspective on our worship. We're not just showing up from week to week and going through the motions. But God is with us. He's promised to be with us. Not just each individual who's in relationship with him, but especially where two or three are gathered together. There's something special about that. It's unlike any other time of the week. Then it has implications for us living our lives. We use the Latin phrase sometimes corum deo, before God thinking about the, the fact that God has promised his people that he will be with them and never leave us nor forsake us, it means that every moment of the day, whether we're awake, asleep, or whatever we're doing, God is with us. He is there with us, walking with us, living in us, and that requires us to have a moment-by-moment moment faith in God. I was reading True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer a really good book, I uh, commend it to you. But one of the latter chapters talks about living moment by moment by, in faith. Just continuously being mindful of God's presence in your life and trusting Him in whatever you're doing and however you're doing it. And then finally, you know, there's a lot of other things that we could, that has implications for everything, doesn't it? But finally, Suffering trouble, difficulty, which everybody has. If you're going through a difficult time and you're a believer, you have the assurance that God has not forsaken you. He has not left you. You're you're going through all kinds of pain and misery in your life and you wonder, where is God? Well, he's right there. He's with you. We're about to sing a hymn, and the first stanza says this. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide In every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, your best, your heavenly friend through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. God is going to take care of you. Through your difficult path. And he's going to lead you to a joyful end. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And what does verse 9 say of Joshua 1? Be strong and courageous in whatever you face. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go you go. That's a promise for anyone who's put their faith in Christ, and I hope that all of you have. If not, run to Christ. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your reassuring word. God, it's always astounding every time we study your word how wonderful it is. Thank you for giving us these words of life. And, Lord, we pray that we would all know your covenantal presence in our lives and live in light of that from day to day. And, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, we pray that they would call upon you. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you for cleansing us from sin and filling us with your Spirit. And we pray that we would keep in step with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and not quench the Spirit. But Lord help us to ever live Quorum Deo before you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.